Welcome to the Trinity's Podcast, where we explore theories about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you love God enough to think about Him? Episode 225, Biblical Words for God and for His Son, Part 2, Old Lord versus New Lord. In this episode of the Trinity's Podcast, I explore and explain the sometimes confusing biblical usage of the words we translate as Lord or the Lord in English. It turns out that the Old Testament and the New Testament are quite different in who they typically mean by the Lord. As in part one, I try to stay 100% non-controversial, although I'm not quite able to hold to it here, I do have a radical suggestion for how present-day Christians ought to refer to God and to God's Son, and along the way I do tell an extremely racist story. Still, the focus here is on basic facts and basic reading comprehension when it comes to biblical terminology for God and for His Son. As with last time, I do recommend the YouTube version of this episode because I occasionally refer to the slides. You can find a link for that YouTube version at the blog post for episode 225 at trinities.org. So here I am talking at Higher Ground Church in White House, Tennessee on March 18th, 2018. So this is part two of my talk about ambiguous words in the Bible. And part two is called The Old Lord versus The New Lord. I'm going to tell you about the words that are translated as Lord in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. If you look at your Old Testament, you'll see something strange. Sometimes they write the Lord with just a capital L, and sometimes they write the word Lord and it's in all caps. It's in small caps. So there's a big capital L and then small capital O-R-D. What is going on there? Well, what's going on there is kind of strange. See, in the Hebrew Bible, in the, he- in the Old Testament, God has a proper name, right? A proper name like Jeff or Sally. And that proper name, we think, is Yahweh. Now, they wrote this in all caps, Y-H-W-H in Hebrew, with just consonants. And we're actually not sure how they pronounce this. Back in the 1800s, a lot of people thought that this was pronounced Jehovah, And that's when the Jehovah's Witnesses got all excited about it. And that's why they're called Jehovah's Witnesses and not Yahweh Witnesses. Nowadays, more scholars think that it was pronounced Yahweh or Yahweh. So this word in ancient times is kind of strangely, if you think about it, at at some point, Jews started to think that it was disrespectful to use this word, to say it out loud. Now, I say it's strange because if you read the Psalms, all these prayers and hymns, the word Yahweh is all over them. It's that one with all caps, right? So Psalm 23, Yahweh is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's all over the Psalms. They clearly used Yahweh all the time at a certain point in Jewish history. And then for some reason, nobody knows exactly why, people said, well, you shouldn't say God's name out loud. And so what they would do is they'd substitute other words for it. They'd say Adonai, Lord, or Hashem, the name, and things like this. They wouldn't say it out loud when they would read it, and sometimes they would refuse to write it. Why did they come up with this? Personally, I think it probably had to do with magic. People thinking that if they you know, wrote God's name on an amulet, that this would be now 
a protector from evil or something like that. They didn't want God's name to be used for magical purposes, so they sort of went overboard and said you shouldn't use God's name. So I said they, they would substitute other more general words for it, like just a more generic title, Adonai, the Lord, or the Master. Okay, so when you get the New Testament times, remember the New Testament is written all in Greek. And so instead of the Lord uh, as Adonai, they write Hakurios, the Lord, in Greek. So sometimes when you're reading the Greek New Testament, the Lord is effectively substituting for the proper name Yahweh. Have you ever seen the word Yahweh in your English translation of the Old Testament? Probably not if you have the NIV or the New Revised Standard or the Living New Living Translation, things like this. Strangely, uh, modern translators follow this ancient practice of not saying the name Yahweh. There is one major translation, which I like a lot, which just throws the word Yahweh in there because it's in the originals, and that's called the New Jerusalem Bible. It's a Roman Catholic translation, but it's, it's a very good translation. I use it all the time when I'm studying things. I would like it if more translations would just go back to using God's proper name. It does change the flavor of what you're reading a little bit sometimes. But, you know, in New Testament times, a lot of the Jews did not read Hebrew anymore. A lot of them just used the Old Testament in Greek. And so in the Greek translations, they wouldn't see the word Yahweh. They would see Hakurios, the Lord. And whenever they quote the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're quoting one of those ancient Greek translations. And so that's what you see reflected in the New Testament. There's also this word Adon, which comes in many different forms in Biblical Hebrew. It can refer to God, or it can refer to various human big shots. It can refer to a king. Sometimes a, a wife might call her husband Lord. It can refer to your boss or a slave owner, that type of thing. So Adonai, the Lord, I believe is always Yahweh in Biblical Hebrew. But if they put a different ending on the word, Adoni, my Lord, that's always some human ruler of some sort. There are more complications than this because in Biblical Hebrew, they will combine words together. So you have Adonai used with Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh, and they combine it in all sorts of different ways. So I'm sort of simplifying a little bit. So the word Yahweh, the proper name, Adonai, the Lord, the more generic title in Hebrew, and then Adon, Lord, or Adoni, my Lord, all of this gets translated into Greek using forms of the word kurios. So the word kurios has a lot of different uses. It's kind of the multi-tool of God words in the New Testament. Kurios, that's how it looks in a modern Greek uh, edition of the New Testament. Kurios can mean a bunch of different things. And so this is some of the confusion I want to help you avoid in this teaching today. Now, there are three really obvious meanings of kurios in the New Testament, and you can just see what the translators have done. So John 4, 11, this is the woman at the well, and Jesus starts talking to her, and she starts to realize that this is a prophet. She says to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water that you're telling me about? Now, in Greek, she calls him Lord. Now, is she calling him Yahweh? No. Is she calling him her boss, her master? No, it's just a respectful term of address. It's like, sir. And that's exactly what the translators have done. She calls him Lord in Greek, and the translators correctly translate that as sir. That's kind of the lowest meaning of kurios in the New Testament. Go up a notch. 
Sometimes it can mean master, like the master of a household, the master over slaves. In Matthew 13, 27, this is in the middle of a parable. Master, did you not sow good seeds in your field? Where then do these weeds come from? Or this is the parable of the sower and the weeds. It means like boss, right? So if you're a kid, your mom and dad are lords in this sense. They're your bosses. The person in charge at your workplace is a master in this sense, right? The governor, the mayor, they're, they're your master. Okay, but then kurios, as I already said, it could mean Yahweh. It could mean the one God, especially when they're quoting from Greek translations of the Old Testament. Now, the thing that you should ask at this point is, great, where does Jesus fit into this? When they call him the Lord Jesus Christ, which is it? Is it one of these three? Are they just calling him Sir Jesus Christ? Probably not just that, right? They're, they're usually not addressing him. They're usually describing him. Are they calling him the master? Yeah, in a sense, although not just in an ordinary sense, right? In the way that your dad or mom are your master, or the way that your boss is the master of you, or the governor or the mayor is your master. Are they calling him Yahweh Jesus Christ? Well, that's what some readers of the New Testament think. The arguments, honestly, here, they get pretty convoluted. But as I said last time, I'm not going to say a single controversial thing here. This is all just pure facts, indisputable facts. And this is just sort of how to sort out word use in the New Testament. This is the main thing I'm going to focus on in the rest of this talk. So let's see if this is right. Is it one of these three things? Now imagine that you are talking to a friend and you ask him, tell me, friend, a few of your favorite things. <laughs> Maybe you just watch The Sound of Music and let's share favorite things. Let's get to know one another better. And your friend says this, these are my favorite things, man. My only bat, my Make America Great Again cap, my horse Larry, and my only baseball bat. Now, what's going on here? How many things has he mentioned here? Did he just mention his baseball bat twice? Mm, unlikely, unless he's really confused, right? He must have a pet bat. Maybe he not only has a horse Larry, maybe he has a pet bat Larry. When you look at this list, you're assuming that he's not double naming things. He's not double counting his favorite things, right? Do you agree? Is that how you would read this? That he's naming four things and not just three things where he named one thing twice? I mean, he could do that if he's confused, but generally a person wouldn't do that, right? So here's the Apostle Paul listing a few of his favorite things. Now in the context, he's trying to emphasize for us things that all Christians have in common. So these are the things that unite Christians no matter their differences. And this was a huge problem in his day because Christian churches, these were house churches back then, and they had been founded by different apostles. And some of them were pretty proud of who their founder was. We were founded by Peter. Well, I mean, he was kind of like the biggest of the, the big guys, right? Well, we were founded by Paul, so there. Well, we were founded by John. And so there were rivalries, and, uh, you know, they might have had different parts of the New Testament, too, at various points. And so it's a standard part of Paul's teaching to kind of pound the table and just let them know all the things that they have in common that unite them. And so in this famous passage, he says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, 
who is above all and through all and in all. Now look at the blue part and the red part. Did Paul just name the same thing twice? Did he just like weirdly double count? Oh, there's one Lord, and that's the same thing as one God, the Father. I mean, we assume not, right? Just like uh, your friend that you were comparing favorite things with, he's probably not going to accidentally double count things. Okay, so my point is, the one Lord is not supposed to be the same being as the one God. Out of all the things that Christians have in common, one body, spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism, God, those are different things that Christians have in common. That looks like how we should read it. Now, you can confirm this by another phenomenon, which is all over the New Testament. But before I get to this, I wonder if you got one of these Christmas cards. I don't know how many Obama voters we have here, but you know, sometimes if you donate to a politician, they will send you a card around Christmas time. So imagine you get this card. Do you see anything wrong with this Christmas card? Seasons greetings. Never mind that part. You might disagree with that. Seasons greetings from Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, Sasha, Malia, and the First Lady. <laughs> Whatever White House intern put this Christmas card out would get fired, right? <laughs> I mean, they'd be in big trouble. Why? What's wrong with this? You tell me. What's wrong with this? They listed Michelle twice. Yeah. Or, or is there another first lady? Like, is he a bigamist? He's got another wife or something? Like, when you list things like that, it's presupposed that you're not double counting them. So. I mean, this card makes it sound like the First Lady was someone other than Michelle Obama, but that's just a terrible mistake, right? Here's a fun thing that you can do later when you have more time. Look at every single letter from Paul in the New Testament. Look at the beginning. He will send blessings and greetings from how many? From two. So start of Galatians, maybe his earliest letter. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins and set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. So he sends greetings from the two of them, which just presupposes that they are two beings. So this is how we read it. I mean, another weird Christmas card would be, you know, Merry Christmas from President Obama and also from Barack Obama that would be another terrible mistake, right? Because it would suggest that they were two beings when in fact those are just two names for the same thing. Okay, so it looks like we shouldn't read these as two names for the same thing. looks like that would be a mistake. Another famous passage by Paul, which we talked about last time, he says, For us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and for us there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Notice the and, right? The and would be out of place if this was just calling God by two different titles. Okay, so the point is that Lord used here, it looks like it's not supposed to mean Yahweh. Yahweh is the one God. So Yahweh is the one mentioned in, in red here. And then there's one Lord. But that can't mean Yahweh because that's just not good reading comprehension, I think. There is one Lord in the New Testament, but this is someone in addition to the one God. 
Or to put it differently, the old Lord, the one that was mentioned in the Old Testament, that's God. The new Lord in the New Testament is the Lord Jesus. Now, what makes it confusing is there are more meanings than that in play. Okay, so what we just saw is when it says Lord Jesus Christ, is it just calling him sir? No, it's, it's way more serious than that. Is it just calling him master? Well, yeah, in a sense, but he's not just one of many masters. Is it calling him Yahweh? No, it can't be that. Just because of the passages we saw, they, they occur in lists together uh, as if he's mentioning different beings and it shouldn't be double counting. That would be very strange for Paul to do. Okay, so it looks like there's actually four meanings of kurios in the New Testament, four different uses of it. It can mean as little as sir. It can mean as much as substitute for the divine name, Yahweh. And then it can mean master. But then it looks like there's another unique use that has to do with Jesus. And so what is that? The key to it, I think, is the most quoted and referred to Old Testament text in the New Testament, which is Psalm 110.1. Originally, Psalm 10.1, it looks like it was a coronation psalm for one of the kings of Israel. So it's like a prophecy or a message given upon the king's coronation. And so if you look at your Old Testament, Psalm 110.1, it'll probably say this, The Lord, right, notice the all caps, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So what's going on in the Hebrew is this. It's Yahweh. That's why the all caps on Lord in your translation. Yahweh says to Adoni, says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So originally when this was given to a king, my Lord would be the Lord of the prophet or the the writer of the psalm. It'd be the king. So it's God says to my Lord, the King, sit at my right hand. The idea is this is God's throne over God's people, Israel, the chosen people. And so God's the one who's really enthroning you. And in a sense, you're having God's authority because you're now a ruler over God's people. One of the most famous places this gets quoted is in the earliest Christian sermon, which is in Acts chapter two, which is really interesting. And in a way, I think... Acts chapter 2, for Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, that sort of encapsulates the gospel according to Luke. It's all kind of in there. He get, there's shorter versions of it later in the book, but his summary of Peter's speech, that's kind of Luke's presentation of the whole gospel, really. Okay, but remember, in the New Testament, they do not use the word Yahweh. They think that's bad. They think it's disrespectful. That's just part of their tradition. And the word Yahweh does not occur in the New Testament What does occur is that substitute in the Greek New Testament. It doesn't say Yahweh says to Adoni. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That, I think, is the key to understanding the New Testament use of Lord in reference to Jesus. Again, they refer to this over and over more than 20 times. They either quote it or refer to it. What they're doing is they're, they're coming up with a new way to use the word Lord. It isn't any of those first three things. It's a new thing. So this is a new Lord, so to speak. He's saying, meet the new boss. 
And uh, Peter goes through all these prophecies that he says that were fulfilled by the death and resurrection and exaltation of Jesus. This is like the high point of the whole sermon right here. And the very next verse, if you're looking at it, says this, Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Christ, or Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. So then a whole bunch of people get saved. This is like the very climax of the whole thing right here. Okay, look, you know that he's not using the word Lord here to mean Yahweh. You don't get made Yahweh. You don't get made Yahweh by, by Yahweh. You just are Yahweh, right? You're the first and last. You're the uncreated creator. Right? Yahweh is utterly unique. He doesn't get made Yahweh by anybody. Okay, but Jesus gets made Lord and Christ by God. And so he's getting made the boss. A boss in the same sense of, you know, the boss at your work? No, a much, a much more exalted sense than that, right? This is a unique sense. He's been put in charge of the church and put in charge of creation. We could talk for an hour about this theme of exaltation in the New Testament. I think it's something that people tend to neglect. So really there are four meanings. You got sir, you got master, you got the Lord God, that's four. And then the third is the Lord Messiah. So the one Lord in the New Testament is Jesus. And generally speaking, when you see talk about the Lord in the New Testament, generally speaking, especially if it's after the resurrection and exaltation, generally the Lord is going to be Jesus. Okay, but this is where it gets confusing because they still use the Lord in the older sense. They still talk about the old Lord, that's God, and they call God Lord, even while they're talking about this newly exalted Lord, the man Jesus. And so here it is, you know, when they're discussing the Shema in Mark 12, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yeah, there it's supposed to refer to Yahweh. It couldn't not refer to Yahweh there. Even in that same sermon, the earliest recorded Christian sermon, Peter refers to the Lord our God. Okay, so the Lord there, that's, that's like obviously referring to Yahweh, right? Notice what they do in both of these verses, though they throw the word your God or our God on there just to make sure you're clear which Lord it is, right? So they're disambiguating the term Lord for you now. If you talk about the one Lord in an Old Testament context, that's just got to be Yahweh. There isn't any other unique Lord than Yahweh. Now in the New Testament, there's the one Lord in addition to the one God. And so now because of that, it's, it's ambiguous in a new way. So, yeah, he just says, the Lord, our God. He just throws on those extra two words there. Good. It's good to remove ambiguity. Now, some people are really hung up on the fact that the Lord can refer to Yahweh in the New Testament. And they say, well, look, isn't Paul saying, okay, maybe not saying, how about hinting that Jesus is Yahweh himself? So the New Testament, the Lord stands in for Yahweh. Yes, sometimes, that's right. In the New Testament, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? That teaching has not been changed. Yahweh is, is unique. He's the only God. Third, in the New Testament, Jesus is the one Lord, right? So therefore, in the New Testament, Jesus is Yahweh. Mm, no, that, that doesn't follow. <laughs> one, two, and three are true, but... Four is not true. I mean, four doesn't follow from one, th one, two, and three, right? 
So it's perfectly consistent to accept those first three things, but not accept, in fact, deny the, the last thing. Here's a way to explain it. Just because they're both called Lord, it doesn't follow that they're the same being because words are ambiguous. Words can be used in different senses. And it's clear that the word kurios is used in different sentences. Even the phrase the Lord is used in different senses in the New Testament. Okay, just because they're both called by the same word doesn't mean that this is one and the same being. Go back to my silly example from last time. We call Bruce Springsteen the boss. We call Stanley the garage manager the boss. Therefore, Stanley is Bruce Springsteen. No, no, just because they're both called the boss, just because they have that term in common, that title in common, it doesn't follow that we're just talking about the same guy. I mean, they're just not the same guy. How do you know they're not the same guy? Look at the differences between them. Okay, well, can you spot the differences between the old Lord and the new Lord? You don't have to get fancy, right? Because in the New Testament, the old Lord is the God of the new Lord. And I'm not inferring this by some fancy you know, piece of interpretation or by my precious knowledge of Greek. It's just right on the surface. So if you look at the beginning of Ephesians, two times at the beginning, Paul refers to our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. A little farther down, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, etc. So this Lord, in the third sense, the unique Lord Messiah, this Lord has a God, the one God. Right? So you know it's not Yahweh. Yahweh doesn't have a God over him, nor is it just a mere sir or master. Now, I'm going to do something that uh, you may disagree with here, but I'm going to go beyond the New Testament a little bit. This is just my two suggestions. Maybe you'll disagree. Yeah, I think it would remove ambiguity if we just called Jesus, now who is exalted to God's right hand and in charge of the world, I think we should call Jesus Lord, and why don't we just call God God and the Father and Yahweh? I don't see why we shouldn't bring back that. I have no problem saying Yahweh or Jehovah or Yahweh. I don't think it's disrespectful. I'm not swearing. I'm not trying to perform magic when I say that. This is not what most Christians do. The thing is, we write worship songs and we read the Psalms and this Lord, 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 this, Lord, that, right, in the Psalms, and it's God. It's God. But then we read the New Testament and the one Lord is Jesus. And usually when it says the Lord, like in Paul's letters, it means Jesus. And so, yeah, we, we kind of get confused there. I don't think they were confused in the New Testament, but it's confusing to us. So that's just a radical suggestion. All right, now before I quit, I want to give you a little story. Once upon a time, I had this uh, philosophy class. It was an introduction to philosophy. And lots of students, some, some of them good students, some of them not so good students. And among the students were a couple of young ladies from China. And, uh, you know, they were very diligent students. They would show up every day. They would take notes. And one day toward the start of the semester, one of them raised, raised their hand and tried to ask me a question. And you know what? They couldn't properly pronounce Dr. Tuggy. I'm not even going to try to tell you what they said, okay? But it didn't sound right. And they said, Dr. Tuggy, what about this? And I said, say my name right. And they, they said the same exact thing again. 
I'm like, what are you, some kind of ignorant person? You can't say Dr. Tuggy? Is that hard for you? And they looked like they were going to cry, but at least I shut them up because I don't want to hear this garbage in my class. And they would come to my office hours and I'd say, yeah, I'll be glad to talk to you and help you out and study for the final exam, but I want you to say my name. And they tried again. It didn't sound right. And I said, get out! I hope you don't believe this story. <laughs> what am I getting at? This is what I'm getting at. Beware of obsession with and pride about names or titles. God does not give a crud whether or not you use some ancient Hebrew term for him. Look, if he did care about it, why is the whole New Testament never use the word Yahweh? It's not there. They could have transliterated it in Greek characters. They chose not to. That's wonderful. You can call God whatever you want, all right, in whatever language you want. You can worship God in Spanish or in Pig Latin, although I don't really recommend Pig Latin. To become obsessed with names, it's kind of perverted. It usually reflects the person is like really proud that they know these secret words. And also, Jesus does not care if you call him Yeshua. He really doesn't care, okay? Just like I couldn't possibly care less if some Chinese person can't pronounce my name. I'll just use a different name with them, or I'll just answer a different thing. You know what? I have a lot of Southern friends that cannot say the word Dale. They say Dell, and that is fine with me. I don't care. All right. How do I know that God doesn't care about what name he's called? Because he's a lot better than me, and I don't care what name I'm called. Use whatever name you want. Worship God. Worship the Son of God. That's why he's been exalted to God's right hand. But don't get all funny about names. If God really cared that much about Hebrew, you'd have Hebrew names in the New Testament, but you just don't. They're not, right? Jesus is not Yeshua in the New Testament. It's Jesus, the Greek version of Joshua. So beware of that. And by the way, that was a fictional story. So just to summarize, this whole talk has been about ambiguous words. Now, the phrase, the Lord, right, that's the substitute for Yahweh, that's not ambiguous. That is a proper name. It's only used for God in the Old Testament. The one God is Yahweh. Okay, but Lord with just one capital letter, that could be God or it could be various human rulers. The New Testament is much more ambiguous. The word kurios, it can mean sir, it can mean master. It can mean the one exalted Lord Jesus, or it could be referring to the one God. It just depends, right? And really, the context is king. The context will tell you which one of those four makes sense. And it's really pretty easy. If you dig really hard, you can find a place in Paul where he says the Lord, and you're not sure, does he mean God or does he mean Jesus? There are a few places in Paul like that. Yeah, what are you going to do? Language just isn't perfectly clear. But, you know, nine times out of ten, if you look at the context, you'll see which one of those meanings is meant. Next week, part three of this series, in which I discuss the much more confusing post-biblical uses of biblical words, as well as some new words that Christians employ in the task of theology. As with parts one and two, the name of the game is disambiguation, helping you to recognize different uses of some key terms. Thanks for listening. 
We'll see you online at trinities.org. Till next time, don't forget to love God with all your mind.